Jonathan Nato, and I'm a blind guy. I'm Hamad Zaidi, and I have a disability. And this is Limping on Cloud Nine. Jonathan, today, as you know, we're going to do something very, very close to both of our hearts and something that's close to the hearts of all 330-some-odd million Americans. Oh, what's that then? It would be a two-part podcast series on September 11th, how it affected us, and then... Listen, people, this... uh, Ever since Jonathan and I started doing this podcast... I've wanted to do this series. Haven't I? Haven't I talked yeah. about it forever? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, and you kept on saying, dude, if we're still doing it in September, do it then. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right? So this is very close to my heart. Before I dive in to how 9-11 affected me and, and the project, and actually the project itself we're going to talk about in part two of this mini-series, but before I dive in, Jonathan, I'd love for you to share your experience with 9-11 because you were going through something really intriguing. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, our, uh, my wife and I actually got married that September 1st, so 10 days before 9-11. And the day after our honeymoon was over, my wife had to go back to work on the day of 9-11. And so you, you, your wife went back to work on 9-11? Yeah, it was, she worked second shift. And so... You know, we would normally sleep, you know, we wouldn't go to bed until late and kind of wake up later in the, in the you know, late, like late morning, early afternoon, because that was just our schedule. And so, right. so we're sleeping and my friend, um, who was actually the guy driving the car in my car accident, he calls me up and he's like, dude, you know, turn on the TV, you know, this is crazy. And I was like, what, what's going on, man? What's going on? Because we didn't have TV at the time, and, and well, we still don't, but we, you know, we didn't have TV. I'm like, well, what's going on? Wait, 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 wait. hold on, hold on. You don't have a television? Well, I mean, we have a tel- we don't have cable TV, I should say. We, we, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was almost going to put you on a higher pedestal than I already did. <laughs> no, I should have declared. We don't have cable TV. We use like Netflix and stuff like that, but we don't we don't have cable TV. Um, okay. And so okay. we didn't have cable TV then either. We had a TV, but we I just used like a VCR, or a DVD player, you know, whatever. And, right. Uh, and so, so uh, you know, he calls me up. He's like, you know, so I'm like, what's going on? I don't, you know, what's going on? Tell me. He's like, man, some plane, you know, a plane just crashed into a into a, a building in New York. And I was like, wow, that's insane. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but people think like it's terrorism or something. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, you turn on the radio or something. And so we turn on the radio and it was like, you know, almost like this live, you know, feed, probably what people were, you know, seeing on TV, except we were just hearing it. And I want to say we had turned it on like just after the second plane had hit. And we're just like, what in the world is going on? And like. You know, my wife, you know, my wife's just like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And, and we live in Connecticut, so we're just like, you know, is there something going to happen to us? Like, th- this is crazy. This is kind of, you know, a lot closer to home than, you know, the, you know, somewhere in Israel or Palestine, you know? So we're just like, yeah, it's true. you know, it's we're true. just like, oh, my goodness, like, what's going to, you know, what's happening here? Like, is this, is there more to come? And so we're just like, you know, we're just sitting by the radio listening, like, all through the day. She had to go to work. Uh, like I said, I think it was like, she had to go in for like maybe four in the afternoon. She went to work, and she—I don't know if she necessarily did any work, but she she just remembers everyone being in the break room, just watching like a big screen TV, like everyone just glued to the TV, being like, "What you know? What the heck is going on?" You know. And so it was a pretty, 
you know, even the few days after that, it was pretty rattling, you know, like the, we've never experienced anything like that before. So, you know, as a country and, you know, her and I, and it, it was, you know, we just got married 10 days before that. We're just like, oh, my goodness, what, what in the world is going on? If, if you were alive during Pearl Harbor, you'll never forget it. And I know that 9-11 will be the single date in my entire life that is tattooed in my mind forever. Yeah, yeah. And I had, you know? and I had a friend, because I had a friend that lived in New York at that time, too. We were, we were really good friends. We were friends growing up the whole time, even as young kids. And I was like, oh, man, you know, what, I, what, you know I hope Neil is okay, because I knew he sort of lived in that, like, really pretty close to that area. And I was like, so I tried calling, calling him. But, you know, all, all the towers were blowing up, you know, like blowing up, meaning everyone's trying to call everyone. Like, the, you know, cell phone towers couldn't handle everything that was going on. And eventually I got a hold of him and he was fine. But he was like, you know what? I was dry. I don't remember what the bridge he was crossing. But he's like, I was crossing the bridge and I looked to the left and I saw like all this smoke in the air. And he's just like, oh, man, they must be recording like a movie, you know, all kinds of stuff in New York. You know, there's all kinds of recording and stuff going on. He's like, they must be recording a movie or something. That's great. I mean, that 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 smoke is really thick. He's like, man. And so he's, he's the, and the bridge is pretty jammed, so it's not like he's driving across, he's kind of stuck in traffic, so he's still looking, and all of a sudden, he sees the second plane come in and hit the other building, and he was oh, like... Oh, does he really? And he was like, that's no movie. He was like, what in the world is going on? And so he turns on his radio, and, that, and that's when he figures out what's going on. He's like, you know, he was like, it was crazy, like, that I, that I even saw it happen. I couldn't believe it. Well, I remember right as it happened... My mom called me, and she like my mom is like a Pakis a Pakistani Mrs. Brady, mm, yeah. like, you know that's the best way to describe her. Yeah, just jovial and innocent, and you know just just like Mrs. Brady. And she calls me and she's like, "Turn on the TV." And I go, "Well, what, mom, what, what, what's up?" And she goes, "Turn on the TV right now." I turned it on. My first thought was I thought that my cousin had died because I thought he worked in the World Trade Center. Mm. I tried to call him for hours, but like you said, they, all the, the lines were down. Yeah. Right? And when I finally got a hold of him several hours later, I realized that he actually worked in the Empire State Building. Ah, okay, okay. Right? And, and not, not the World Trade Center. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I sat up watching TV, and all I could think is, oh, my God, everything has just changed. Mm. Every single thing in this country just changed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, he, and here was my memory of it. I mean, I cried for hours. I was deeply, deeply affected. But the next day, September 12th, or no, I think on September 13th, the Temecula Valley International Film Festival was starting. Mm. And at the time, I was on their advisory board. I'm not sure if I was judging that year or if I was just on, like, one of their advisory committees. Yeah. But I was supposed to spend three or four days in Temecula. And there's all this talk immediately about canceling the festival. And what wound up happening is the festival organizers realized that canceling the festival would be letting the terrorists win. Yeah. So we're going to hold it. Yeah. So Temecula is wine country that's about 90 minutes from where I lived. Okay. So 
I drive out to Temecula, and I'll never forget this, man. I will never, never forget this. I stopped at a gas station outside of Temecula, mm. and and as I'm getting my gasoline, this guy comes over to me, and he looked nice at first, so oh, I was yeah. being very open. I, I, I already know where this is going. Oh, yeah, you do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I may have told you this. No, you didn't, but just knowing you and, and everything, I already know where this is going. So I had a little black convertible at the time, and I had the top down. And he comes over to me, and he goes, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing okay. Because I didn't want to say I'm doing great. I told him, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm just getting my gas. How are you? And he looks at me, and he goes, you... Uh, you might want to put up your your top. And I said, you mean my convertible? He goes, you might want to put it up. And I'm like, well, why? It's 85 degrees out, man. (laughs) And he looked at me, Jonathan, I'm telling you, he had dead eyes, completely dead eyes, Mm. like a a shark's eyes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he looked at me and he goes, if you don't want to get your head blown off, put your top up and drive away. Wow. Yeah. And just like that, I'm like, oh, my God. Suddenly, yesterday, I knew all of America changed. Today, I know I will never be treated the same. Yeah, you, yeah I was going to say, you just got a, 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 a mouthful of how it changed. Exactly. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, it reminded me of, you know, the podcast that you and I discussed several months ago about me wanting to celebrate with the Kansas City Royals when they beat the Yankees yeah, to, yeah. To, to go to their first World Series. Yep. And being so excited to get out of the car and celebrate with a couple hundred thousand Kansas Cityans. Yeah. And then having a, a mob crowd come to our Oldsmobile and pound on them on the windshield and tell us to get back right. to Pakistan and to go home. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And not even to be able to get out of our car. It gave me that same feeling. Yeah. And I so badly wanted to say, dude, I cried for like nine hours. I'm American. I bleed red, white, and blue. Right. You know, I so, and I tried to say, talk to him and he just didn't want anything. About, I mean, the guy just threatened me. Yeah, well, was right? he like a? Did he work at the gas station, or was he just a regular? No, a regular guy that no. was there. He was just filling up his uh, Ford F one fifty truck. You know, man. And so, luckily, I was going to a film festival, and film festivals are really liberal, loving, and caring places. Yeah. Usually, usually yeah. speaking. Yeah. Right. And so. I told everyone that story and everyone's like, don't worry about it, man. You know, we, everyone that knows, you knows how much you love America. It's, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Just be yourself. Just be kind. Everything will work out. So we go to the festival on the last night of the festival. There's this great gala that was all dedicated. They dedicated a lot of proceeds to nine 11. Yeah. Every everything was focused on 9/11. You know, for that festival, although yeah. remember that festival happened just 2 days after the actual event. Right, right. So it was all super last minute. 
my buddy Steve and people that listen to this podcast know which Steve I'm talking about. He's the guy that I drew, he's the guy that bought his dad a Porsche in yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And drove it across the country and crazy, helped him drive it back to San Diego. <laughs> right, right. The same Steve. He he goes, hey man, I've got something that might help you feel better. We're gonna go out tonight to the party. You know, the party that they have for the sponsors and for yeah. the filmmakers. Yeah. And so we went to the party, and at the end of the party, he goes, hey, a group of us is going with the mayor of Temecula out to dinner to another, like, posh club slash dinner restaurant. It's like the right? the after-after party. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm game. I'd love to go. I'd love to go. I, and remember, we're with, you know, public officials mm. of Temecula. Mm. Everybody walks into the party, and, and I'm walking in, and the doorman blocks me. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm with them. And he's like, I don't care. You're not getting in. And, of course, Steve is like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, man. You know? Um you got to let him in. He's with, you know, the mayor's in our group. And the, the, the guy he, at the doorman just said, the owner of this restaurant does not want your company. Man. Right? So I had to drive home. Right? <laughs> and one side of me was deeply, deeply crushed and ultra mad. The other side of me understood because I try really, really hard to be loving, you know? Yeah. And I just sat there thinking, man, if I were a guy that was born and raised in this country and a terrorist attack, the worst attack on the United States happens two days earlier, I may have an issue with a guy that looks like the guys that change our country forever. Yeah. You know? I, I guess you're a better man than I. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I wasn't happy about it. It was really, really hard. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I mean, I know you said one side of you was really mad, but then the other side of you, you know, thought about this. I, I, would have, I wouldn't have had that other side, <laughs> like, at all. I, I would have just been, like, totally livid. Like, I, I, I'm sure I, couldn't, I wouldn't have handled it at all like you did. No, it was a really hard time for every American, but I... It really hit me very, very hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it really, really did. It was impossible to, you know, making friends became a lot harder for a couple of months because everything was touchy. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, and thankfully, we didn't turn, you know, we didn't turn you guys into uh, our little mini concentration camps like we did with the Japanese during Pearl Harbor. Oh, so my God. At least we got a, a little well, you know, bit, at least we got a little bit better. <laughs> Oh, I don't know, man. That's true. Definitely true back then. But I don't know. This current administration might want to do something like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I'll tell you, as the year went by, I kept on wanting to do something for 9-11. So one thing that I did is I wrote a... Uh, I wrote a comedy about a white guy adopted by a Pakistani family. Nice. I like the sound of that already. Yeah, no, it's really funny. It's really, <laughs> really, at least, of course, I wrote it, so I think it's funny. But and I'll, I'll, I'll share the hook and everything some other time. But 
my reason for even writing it was I thought I want to find a way to bring both cultures together. Yeah. And I always find the best way to do that in any situation is comedy. Yeah. And I say that because if you do it in a dramatic sense, although all your points are very real and truthful, you run the risk of beating everyone over the head with your opinion. Right. And if you do that too much, everyone tunes out. Yeah, yeah. Right? However, if you slide it into a comedy, they're more focused on the comedy and they're less focused on what they're learning. And my my attitude, Jonathan, was create a story where there's a white guy with blonde hair that has Pakistani parents, right? Yeah, yeah. So that even subliminally, the audience is watching both cultures intertwine and love each other without yeah. me having to beat anyone over the head with it. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. You know, so I did that, and it made the first round of um, the Sundance Screenwriting Labs. It didn't get chosen, but it made, like, the, the first finalist cut round thing. Yeah. So that was uh, encouraging. And ironically, that screenplay turned into the documentary that we shot part of up in the Yukon. Ah, okay. So that the that screenplay was the blueprint of what turned into the Limping on Cloud Nine documentary that I've been shooting since, you know, 2001. Yeah, okay, okay, all right. And I only started shooting it because of 9-11. Wow, okay. You know, because I wanted to do something for it. But what I've experienced throughout my life I always tell my dad and mom, my dad and mom are always like, you're just so American and we love that about you, but you don't have any strain of your culture anymore, Mm, mm, right? mm. They go, you kind of speak the language, but not much, and you can't read or write it. (laughs) I mean, which is true. I do speak the language, but I can't read it or write it. Okay, okay. They go, you're kind to everybody and you're proud of who you are, however... You know, you're not cultural at all. And I always tell my mom and dad, that's because when we moved to America when I was an infant, you wanted us to be American. Mm. You wanted us to do the apple pie baseball Chevrolet thing, right? You, You wanted us to do the Pledge of Allegiance every morning, which I'll tell you something. Every time that Lena and Zoe see a flag anywhere, yeah. they, they will stop in place, put their hand <laughs> over their heart, and read the Pledge of Allegiance. That's funny. <laughs> and I kind of chuckle at it, but I think, you know, that's kind of cool. It's very cool that they have that much deep love and respect for the United States. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. You know, so my mom and dad were saying, why is it that you respect those in the culture but you yourself kind of keep an arm's length from the culture. Mm. And, and you know what the answer is? I tell them, I go, Dad and Mom, ever since I could walk, every five to seven years, someone from our culture does something horrific. <laughs> Some, <laughs> so, somewhere in the world, when a very few amount of any group does a horrific action, the whole group gets penalized. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Every 10 years or something. You know, when I was 12 years old, there was the uh, Iran hostage situation. Right. Right? Right. 
So there's always something. Like, I'll even tell you, you remember when I talked about my girlfriend, Trisha, in yeah. Texas? Yeah, yeah. And you're like the but, only brown guy in the town. <laughs> yeah. I was the only brown guy in the town, and it, the town was Brownsboro, Texas. <laughs> which is uh, which is hilariously which is ironic. Really, actually, you know what? I never actually thought of that. That is really funny. It is. It's hilariously ironic. <laughs> the, the name of the town actually is Brownsboro, Texas. It's about 25 or 26 miles east of uh, Tyler, Texas. Mm, mm. And I would pseudo-affectionately be called the town N-word. Man. Right? But I was like, well, you've got the wrong culture, first of all. Right, right. (laughs) You know? But, and I'll tell you why I mentioned Trisha in Texas. When Trisha and I were getting serious... And we were way too young to get married, but we were stupid and we were starting to think about the future. Mm. I remember her mom, who was great. She was great. Her mom goes, next time you guys come to Brownsboro, I need to sit down and talk to you. And I'm like, okay. So, and I like Brownsboro. It was fun. I mean, I used to go play bingo with her grandma, (laughs) Patricia's grandma on Saturday nights. It It was so much fun. So... We visit, and her mom goes, I just need to talk to you alone. Oh, I said, okay. Oh, here we go. Yeah, so we go into the little kitchen area. She got me Dr. Pepper. She made herself a coffee. And she's like, you and Trish are getting a little serious, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I think so. And then she asked me a couple questions. You know, like she goes, yeah, you're... At the time, I was in finance school. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Before I switched over to film school, radio, TV, film. And she goes, okay, so you're in finance school. You know, things are okay with you. I just have one question. And she was being serious. She wasn't joking, Jonathan. She goes, if you marry my daughter, can you promise me one thing? And you know she asked me to promise her? Not to have kids? Oh, my God. <laughs> I would have been mad if that was it. She goes, she goes, when you have children, can you promise me that when you get mad at Trisha and your children, you won't lock my daughter and your kids in a car and light the car on fire? What? I swear. Verbatim. Oh Verbatim, that's what she asked me. That, Verbatim. That is a very strange request. Oh, man. You know, and I I first thought it was her sense of humor. I'm like, yeah, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. And I remember that she tapped her finger on the kitchen table. Mm, mm. And she's like, I'm serious. Promise me you won't kill my, my daughters, my daughter and my grandkids. And I'm like, wow. Wow. This comes after dating her daughter for almost two years and seeing them at least two weekends a month. Man. Hoo-wee. You know? So my point is, opinions on certain cultures run deep with other cultures. Yeah, yeah. And no one's immune from it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, totally. So I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but I think it kind of makes sense with what we're talking about. Yeah, no, I was just asking, like, it, it, uh, again, it, it might have been my ignorance, but it, this just didn't seem to be this huge rallying of, hey, we shouldn't be treating our fellow Americans 
this way within our country just oh, because oh, of their, is that what you're saying? Yeah, Absolutely. Just be, just you're right. Their skin they weren't rallying that at all. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I totally missed on that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like it seems like, you know, the situation's going on now, everyone's up in arms. Oh, you know, and granted what what's going on is completely disgusting and I don't condone it at all, but I'm just saying, you know, it's almost like, well, why is it okay? You know, why is why is this bad and this other thing wasn't or you know what I'm saying? Like what what what, what where's the where's the disconnect here? You know, it's not like this is the first time this has ever happened. You know, like th- this type of situation, you know? And- yeah, and I, yeah, I agree with you, my friend. And I don't want to get into a, a race talk, but I will say this. I will say this. Last night on the news here in Los Angeles, yeah. there was news of a mid-50s, very wealthy political donor mm. who had a 26-year-old black man found dead in his home yesterday morning. Ooh, okay. And no one's asking any questions. Right. Like the, the the white gentleman's not a suspect. Right. 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 So there's this civil outcry in LA today because people are saying, "Well, wait a minute. If it were an African American man with a 26-year-old white man dead on his kitchen floor, he'd be arrested immediately." Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. No. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, I, it, I totally agree with all this stuff. But there, I just feel like that we need to be consistent. <laughs> you know, like that. That's that's my problem with with all this. Like, any type of whether it's you know racism or whatever you would call. I, I don't know if it's necessarily considered racism. Like, if you're, you know, like like with you and I when we deal with you know being dealt differently due to our disability. Like, that's not necessarily racism, but whatever you would call that. Like, anything like that across the board. It's like. Yeah, I get, I, I get it. People are mistreated. And if you want to do something, that's great. But let's do something across the board. Let's not just focus on this one little niche or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I totally agree with that, Jonathan. I'll tell you this. <laughs> and I'm not even trying to be funny. I hit the trifecta, my friend. You know? <laughs> right. I, I, I'm a short, <laughs> disabled Pakistani guy. Right, right. Right. So I've got, like... The short people thing, the disabled thing, and the minority thing. Right. All going against me. Right. You know? Yeah, but totally. Again, part part of the reason part of the reason that you and I do this podcast is to show people that with any obstacle that you and I face in our lives, we remain pretty damn positive. Mm. You know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I I could have gone a very other way, no, a very totally. different way than I did. No, totally. Like I said, every time I hear you talk about situations where you have to deal with sort of, you know, the racist thing, it's like, man, I don't, I don't even know if I'd be anywhere near as, like, happy and, and you know, satisfied and everything the, the way you are. You know, one one thing, actually, I, this probably has nothing to do with anything, but one thing that popped into my head and, you know, kind of talking about, you know, people you know, looking at other people differently for, you know, just because of the color of their skin or, you know, like you had one, one father, I think you said during one podcast, you were kind of trying to go on a date with his daughter and he came, he came to the door with his gun. He was like, turn around, boy. <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're not, you're not going on a date with my daughter. And, you know, so before I got my car accident, I was actually dating a girl who was half black, half white, she, but she, she more looked African American than, than white. Um, you probably, okay. you, you wouldn't have guessed by looking at her that her mother was white. And so I was dating this girl for a, a few months uh, before I got my accident. And after I got in my accident, there were like a few people in the school that were like, he got what he deserved. 
That's what you get when you when you do, oh, when dude, you date a black horrible. when you date a black that girl. That is so horrible. Yeah, yeah. Like people were going around saying that. It's just like really like because you're dating someone that's a different color. You're gonna be like, yeah, you got what you deserve, man. Like you, you had that coming. I was like, wow. <laughs> well, that's all you can say when that is really. Thank you so much for sharing that moment. That is really disgusting. It is. It's, it's just crazy, like how it just blows me away. Like, you know, granted, I'm blind and I don't see people's skin colors anymore. But even when I could, I was never brought up like no one's. Yeah, just so what? Your skin color is different. Big deal. My eyes are different colors than yours. I mean, I was never brought up to think that way, and it, it just baffles my mind that pe- that it can. You know, people can make decisions or whatever on just the color of something. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, and I, I'm not speaking for my wife, but to be honest, on my side, when Lena and Zoe were born, we decided that we'd each name one of the two children, mm. right? Mm. So I wanted Zoe because my last name is Zadie, and Zoe Zadie would be kind of a fun, a fun name. Totally, totally. But, and then Lena named, I'm sorry, my wife, Shahina, named Lena because my wife used to write short stories when she was a young girl about a, ficti- a fictitious girl named Lena. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is cool. But I'll tell you this, I'm thrilled that they are named Lena and Zoe because that's just one less thing they have to deal with when they get older. Yeah, exactly. When As people a, see their name on a, on a you know application or whatever... I mean, granted, right. they, granted, their their last name might still be Zadie, but you know, they, at least Zoe and Lena, they're not going to be like, oh, this is some Middle Eastern girl or whatever, you know, like, which is which is well, hor- you know, which yeah. is horrible that you have to even contemplate that when you're naming your kids, you know, like, <laughs> like that shouldn't even have to be a process of your thought when it comes to naming your kids, you know. Trust me, I know, but I'll tell you this: it's uh, it it is horrible, but at the same time. Uh, oh, yeah. You, what was I going to say? Yeah, it does suck. But at the same time, man, I got to tell you, I was thrilled years ago when one of my Jewish friends told me that Zadie is Yiddish for grandfather. Oh, that's cool. So just a lot of Jewish children call their grandfather Zadie. Huh, never realized that. Right. Yeah. So I'm like. It's good. It's good. <laughs> but ho- hopefully, Lena and Zoe, w- when they apply for their first job, they won't. It won't take them four hundred and twelve resumes to get what they want. <laughs> exactly. You know, their dad took that hit for the family. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. Nine Eleven was really strange and just. It changed. Man, I keep saying that, but it did. It changed. Everything. Did, did you did you go there any time recently, like after it had happened? Because I, I went there about a month after it happened. No, you know, I didn't go there that quickly after it happened, although I did go there. Uh, I have seen, you know, the memorial that they put up. Yeah. At, at Ground Zero. Yeah. 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 I've been in New York a handful of times since. Yeah, there was a concert there but, that was in October that my friend had bought tickets for me for my birthday, so... My, me, my wife, she wanted to see the uh, the musical Rent. So mm-hmm. her and her friend, they had bought tickets to go watch Rent. And then my friend and I went to a concert. It was a band called Tool. And we had already. Oh, yeah, you saw Tool there? Yeah, yeah. We had already bought tickets. So it's like, and it was a month later. So we went there and he, he kind of got, got us pretty close to Ground Zero. And man, just like the, the feeling in the air, you could feel like that whole area was still like just deflated. Like, 
you know, even a month later, people, you know, you, you could just feel like like the sadness and the, you know, some people just, you know, could feel like just the wanting to give up or, you know, it was, it was really sad to kind of be in that area. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm totally sure. I remember during that time, my sister Mona knew somebody in undergrad who her husband changed a flight to come home a day early because she had emailed him a sonogram of their newborn, you know, she was mm, pregnant. Yeah. He changed his flight to get on one of the flights. <sighs> you know, and then when I uh, taught at Watkins Film School in Nashville, one of my students told me that his brother worked at one of the financial firms. Mm. You know, I, I forget which one, but it was the one where they had 208 employees and 204 of them died. Yeah, yeah. His brother was one of the four that didn't go to work that day. Man, I know there's so many amazing stories of, like, people that didn't go to work that day. Like, you know, they were, like, sick or they were running late or other plans changed. It's amazing that there were – I don't remember the exact number, but – there, there was a significant amount of people that actually didn't show up that day that should have been there. Emergency. Okay. Hey, Jonathan, hang on. Uh, keep rolling. Don't stop. Okay, okay, Zoe okay. needs me real quick. Sure, okay? sure. Hold on. Yeah, sweetie, what do you need? Um, we can find the remote control for the TV. And, and, wait, wait, wait. Girls, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Say hi. Say hi. Hi, Zoe. Say hi. Hi, Lena. Hi. Say hi to Mr. Jonathan. Hi. Hi. And say hi to every say hi to everybody listening on the podcast. Hi. 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 No, You're right. There's just, only nine people listening. Just just in case they didn't hear, you should have them re- repeat the emergency. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Tell everybody why you disrupted the podcast. Zoe, come over here and tell everybody what your emergency is. Come here in the microphone. Tell everybody what the emergency is. We have ants. We have ants. That's emergency number one. Zoe, what's emergency number two? We can't find the... No, come over here by the microphone and tell... No, you say. We cannot find the TV remote control. Oh, now that is a catastrophic event. That is a catastrophic <laughs> event, man. But what I want to slide into and just tease for part two is what happened next. Okay. And... Just to give you guys an idea out there, I wound up writing, directing, and producing a September 11th-related public service announcement that played on the one-year anniversary of 9-11 in movie theaters all across America and on all four major networks. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really, really, really cool. It was amazing. But instead of jumping into it now and, and just getting half of the story out, yeah, let me just stop with that, and we'll pick up on part two. And as you guys can assume, part two of this little mini-series will be released on September 11th. Yeah. Yeah, so if you, cool. guys, yeah, so if you guys want to download uh, the episodes, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher Radio, Google Play, YouTube, uh, there's also 59 Seconds of Cloud9 on iTunes and Google Play, so check that out. Don't forget, check out toysaccessible.com. You know, you know what, what's at that site by now, so check out toysaccessible.com. If you don't know, go there and check it out anyways. You can find out what's there. So toysaccessible.com. Great, and if you want to reach out to us, 
info at limpingoncloud9.com, info at limpingoncloud9.com. Everyone, thank you for listening and downloading. We'll talk to you next episode. See ya.